0: Amen, amen. Aren't you thankful for our worship team? They do such a great job leading us in worship each week. Can we just give them a hand? Thankful for them doing that. Well, today we are continuing our series, Reconnect. And uh, so we've been talking about reconnecting to our mission. Um, And our mission here at C1NAS, this is why we exist. It's to know, love, And serve God and others right so it's upward and it's and it's outward okay everything we do as Christians we believe first it starts between us and God but it also it's got to impact how we treat others how we live in this world so it's up and it's out and uh, last week Pastor Brian talked to us about reconnecting to knowing and, and we even talked about knowing that we, we have salvation. And, and, and we talked about reconnecting to groups, right? Reconnecting to a Sunday school class or a small group or a, or a place where um, you can grow in your knowledge and grow in depth and grow in relationships. And that, and that is so key. We can't overstate the importance of knowing because if you're not growing in what you've lear- you're learning about God and if you're, if you're not growing in knowledge, it, it'll be hard to grow in maturity. I mean, how can you grow in maturity when you don't grow in knowledge? But today we're talking about loving and, I, and, and while knowledge is so important, the truth is this, knowledge by itself doesn't change us. Knowledge by itself does not change people. It doesn't change me, it doesn't change you. You want to know how I know? I do a case study every Sunday morning on whether or not knowledge changes us, okay? Now, who in this room, raise your hand if you ever had a health class in school or you've ever had to talk about nutrition at at all in any way, shape, or form. Will you raise your hand if you've ever learned anything about nutrition in your life? Okay. I hope that everyone's hands are raised. Now, we all know that. We all know that donuts are not very good for you, don't we? Oh no! Now, we all know that donuts, I mean, there's no nutritional value in these things, right? I mean, have you ever seen the the Christian comedian who's praying and he's like, Lord, please change the molecular density of this donut and make it nourishing to my body because there's nothing in there that will nourish. But you know what? Every Sunday I do a case study, and I can guarantee you by the time I get out here and actually make it to the donut table, all that's going to be left are the fritters. Anybody ever been late to the donut table? There's no glaze left. There's no chocolate left. There's no jelly filled with the sugar on the outside. The only thing left is the fritters. And I'm convinced the only reason they're there is because there's fruit inside. And it's like, there's some nutritional value here. (laughs) You know, this is just donuts on Sunday. Because knowledge doesn't change us, right? Knowledge does not change us by itself. It's important, but it doesn't change us. See, what we love, that's what changes us. What you love is what changes you. One Christian author puts it like this Love is like an autopilot, it sets our direction without us even realizing it. That's what love does. So, today, the question I'm going to ask you is not what do you know? It's what do you want? What do you want? That's, that, that's the question. And, and today, I'm going to tell you, it's going to be an interactive service because you're not going to be talking to me about this, okay? You're going to be talking to the Lord about what do you want? And we're talking about in the depths. We're talking about in our heart. What are the things that you want so much that that would maybe have the potential to change your life, to direct your life? What do you want? What do you desire? And see, because God understands that knowledge alone doesn't change us right he made us he knows this let's just look at a couple verses that if you've been in church for a while you you probably have heard these in some way shape or form Uh, if you're new these are great verses these are foundational verses okay of Scripture so first let's look at Romans uh, 10 verses 9 and 10 okay here's what it says if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead you will be saved For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Now, he's talking about two things. He's saying, listen, it's important that you profess your faith. It's important that you say it, but where do you believe? Where does belief lie? I think for many of us, we would think belief lies in the mind, right? Belief lies in what I think or changing a thought process. No, he says, you've got to believe in your heart. If you believe in your heart, and now think about this. We talk about your heart a lot, right? I've, I've accepted Jesus into my heart. I've given my heart to the Lord. We use these terms a lot, and I think we use them so much we can actually become a little bit desensitized to what it means when I say I've given my heart to the Lord or I believe in my heart because your heart, that's the center okay of your will, It's the center of your life direction. It's it's the center of, of your desires, your deepest longings, the things you really, truly, honestly want. When the Bible talks about your heart, he's not just talking about your beating heart. He's talking about the very thing that controls and directs your entire life. So that is the place. That's the place of belief. That's where we put our faith in Jesus. Now, let's look at Another passage, okay, Jesus talked about this too. So we, we know we've got to believe in our heart, but uh, Matthew 22, 30, uh, verses 36 through 40, Jesus responds about what's the most important thing. So the question is this, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Now, remember, I think a lot of us know this, but remember, knowledge by itself won't change us. Knowing that I've got to love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength doesn't actually cause me to do that. Just knowing it doesn't change me. I've got to give God Everything, and I love the, the, what it says there at the end. It says, on, on this hang all the law and the prophets, on these two commandments. That's their entire Bible. What he's saying is, every, all of scripture that you have to this point, it, 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 it all hangs on the fact you've got to have love for God and you've got to have love for people. Everything about your life has to flow from that. And I, and I would suggest that in our lives, right, in our spiritual walks, most of the time when it's like there's like a distance between us and God, or if we're at a moment where we're, we're feeling torn in some areas or, or like, like, like I'm not growing, I'm not getting closer to God, most of the time it's not an increase in knowledge that we need. Most of the time we already know some things that need to be brought into practice. We already know some things that need to be we uh, fanned into flame again, right, as we talked about in the first week of this series. And what happens is I really believe our lives in a lot of ways, our hearts are like a compass. They, there's a perfect north that our knowledge brings us, right, which is what we just talked about. I've got to believe in my heart. I've got to love God. I've got to love others. That's perfect north. But if we're not careful over time, we can slowly begin to deviate from that perfect north and just get a little off track not far but just a little bit off track but a little bit off track at first can lead us to a destination we never wanted to be at in 1914 uh, after the sinking of uh, not long after the Titanic sunk okay Congress came together because there was another nautical tragedy that year okay In January of 1914, there was a really thick fog off the Virginia coast, okay? So think about it. This is really thick fog. You couldn't see where you were going. And there were two ships that were out that way. There was the steamship Monroe, and there was a merchant vessel named the Nantucket. And it was actually the captain of the Nantucket who ended up being charged because these two boats, they they hit one another. 41 sailors lost their lives, and and it sunk. And, And while both captains made mistakes, okay, And the capital of the Nantucket was charged. The captain of the Monroe was put on the stand for over five hours, and he was grilled. He was cross-examined because 41 sailors lost their lives, right? Somebody's got to be held accountable. And basically, what they were grilling him over was they found out that Captain Johnson of the Monroe had been navigating for the past year with a compass that deviated as much as two degrees from perfect north it just deviated as much as two degrees and here's was his defense okay So, so he ended up being in a place he never should have been in because his compass was just a little off this collision would have never taken place if his compass had just been true and perfect north but here was his defense he said the instrument the compass it was sufficiently true to run the ship right it's not perfect north but it's good enough to run the ship second he said this It's the custom that, um, it's the custom of all the captains in this area to use such a compass. Okay, so here's his two defenses. He's saying, listen, it's not perfect, but it's good enough to run the ship. And guess what? All the other captains, it's common that if your compass is just a couple degrees off, you can continue using it. And uh, the author of the piece sums sums it up by saying this. He says, the faulty compass that seemed adequate seemed good enough for navigation eventually proved otherwise and friends our heart our heart is an internal compass and and over time slowly here's what can happen most people never would say like I don't love God I don't love others but what can happen is we get to a point where we know that's perfect north but our heart begins to just deviate just slightly to where we're no longer aimed perfect north and we can end up at a destination we never wanted to be at. Okay, and Paul understands this about our hearts. We've been talking a lot about Paul, that you're, you, and, you and I, what we love, what we want, it's not, it's not just set. It's not like I can just say it's one thing and it's always that one thing. I'll never love anything else. No, it can change. It can, it can move. And, and Paul wrote a letter to the church in Corinth and at the end of 2 Corinthians, he, he, this is what he says to them. He says, examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves. And and today we're going to do that with our hearts. We're going to take an inward look. I'm not looking at your heart. You're not looking at mine. We're going to take an inward look and take an examination of our own hearts. And this sermon, I'm telling you, it is interactive. If you want to get something out of this message today, I would encourage you to take some of the reflection questions we're going to ask and ask yourself those things. See, God wants our whole heart. He wants it all. And I believe that you want Him to have it too. But without our knowing it, we can sometimes use a compass that's just a little bit off. So this morning, we're going to do a heart check. Everybody in the place, we're going to do a heart check together. Okay? I went through this this week myself, and I can tell you, as I went through and looked at five different aspects of Christian love, I found a few places in my own life that I just reconfessed reconfessed and recommitted to the Lord and said, Lord, is is there a little deviation here? Have I begun to just slip out of true and and just wholehearted love and devotion for you and, and for others? Have I begun to move just a little bit off? And Lord, here's my heart. I want you to help me get back on track because God's desire for each one of us it's not to make us feel guilty or shamed if, if we've gone, deviated a little bit. He just wants us to come to Him and recalibrate, just realign ourselves with Him. That's why daily devotions are so important. Um, just spending time in God's Word and letting Him speak to you, it helps me every day just to kind of slowly align my will and my heart with God's will and His heart. So today, as I said, we're going to talk about five different aspects of Christian love, and we're going to look inward and we're going to ask the Lord to show us and reveal to us things and to change us. So, we're actually we're going to stop right here. And before we dive in, let's pray together. Okay, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. Lord, we recognize that any love we have for you is is simply just a response to the great love that you have for us. Lord, we could never, ever have earned your love, and that's not what we're even talking about today. Lord, but we want to be faithful and true to you. Lord, we want our hearts to beat for you. We know you said the most important thing is that we love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love our neighbor as ourself. And so, Lord, today, would you speak to each individual heart? Would you help us as we look inward, Lord? Um that we might look a little bit more like you after today. Lord, that we might allow you to shape and realign our hearts with your heart. And say, so in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, so the first thing we're gonna talk about love is that love sets our course. Love sets our course. Love sets our life direction. Uh, Proverbs 4.23 sums it up saying, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life, and that's kind of what I was getting at when we were talking about the compass. Is that our heart is really setting our life direction, where we're going? And so Solomon, who wrote this passage, he's inspired to write it, but he says, above everything else you do, you need to guard your heart, because it's easy for us to begin to move one way or the other, um, and c- because your heart is going to determine where you're headed. So again, let's talk about for a moment, what do I want? What is at the deepest longings of my heart and life right now? And, and, and again, we're not talking about just, you know, everybody wants little things. Like, I think if I asked what's at your deepest longings of your life, I, I'm pretty sure half the youth group would, would say Taco Bell. And, uh, and, yeah, there's hands up, okay? And, and the reality is, in some ways, that does set the course of their life. It's like the other day we had a small group, and I said, we well, we have Taco Bell. And a person showed up just because they heard we were having Taco Bell, right? Okay, this is teenagers for you. But I'm not talking about the little things, but I'm talking about what do you really, really, truly want? And it's a question sometimes that we don't even ask ourselves because we're going through life. And remember, what we truly want, what we truly love in the deepest parts of our heart and life, that's actually serving as an autopilot. Right, we're, we're pursuing life with something in our hearts that's directing us, and we're not even always full, fully aware of it. So today, let's bring it a light, and let's ask, What do I really, truly, honestly want with my heart? Now, we know the right answer. We know, it's like, I, I, want, I, I need to love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? I need to love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. But what I have found in my own life is that sometimes a very, very subtle shift can take place. Very subtle. Instead of my, me wanting to love God and serve God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength and making Him the supreme end of like, that's where I want to go with my life, I can make a small shift To what's kind of called the good life, everybody's got a picture in their in their mind of what the good life looks like, what it consists of. Um, For for a lot of us, if if you were to say, "What's the good life?" I mean, we would look at we would look at things like healthy. Um, We would look at things like spending time with my family. I've got a good family. I've got a nice house. You know, I've got a couple couple dogs that you know. They never chew up anything, and they, they don't shed, and they just, you know, they take themselves out. They clean up after themselves. I mean, we've got a picture of the good life. Like, this is the good life. Like, I'm married. My, my kids are, every, everything's good. And, and you know, I've got, I've got enough for retirement. I've got enough for vacations. Everything's happening the way I was hoping it would, and we've got a picture of the good life. Now, I want to say, everything I just mentioned on that list, none of those things are wrong. And I also want to mention that you can want more than one thing at a time. But you can only truly want, supremely want, one thing in the depths of your heart. And all the other wants and loves fall below that. Meaning, if... if. If what I truly want with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength is to love the Lord and to do His will, that means while I may want a nice house and I may want to live in a certain area of town, you know what? That may not be the case. It could be that I could live right where I want to be in the perfect house, but it could also be God's leading me somewhere else. And so when these two things come into conflict, what do I do? I love the Lord. I serve the Lord. And that's how you can determine what is the thing that you want the most, it's ask yourself this, what is the one thing in my life I love so much that all the other things in my life somewhat, they kind of bow down to that? Like I won't let them get in the way of this one thing. Uh, we're going to talk about that more, but it's important for us to remember that God wants us to pursue him first, not the good life. And, and what can happen is for a lot of people, church is a part of the good life. God is a part of the good life, but God wants to be the center of of our lives, He created us for Him. So remember, what you love sets your direction. And if you love the wrong thing, even if it's close, it begins setting you in a different heading than God would have you go. It begins leading you in a different direction than you than, than you ever thought you would go. So um, that's the first thing: is that love sets our direction. And so now, what we're going to do with each question, with or with each. Um, aspect of God's, uh, of love, Christian love, we're going to have a few reflection questions that are going to pop up on the screen. And this is where, um, this is where this message gets really interactive, and this is where this message will really, uh, it'll either change you or it won't change you. Um, And you can either allow this to work in you or not. And so we're going to have, could you put up those reflection questions for me for this one? Um, And so I know you may not have anything to write with. Most of you have a phone. I would encourage you, hey, get your phone out. Snap a picture of that. Reflect on this later. There's going to be five sets of these questions. But I would really encourage you, take a moment, look at these, either write them down, and ask yourself these things in true honesty. Be honest with yourself. You don't have to tell. It's not about telling someone else what's going on. But ask myself, what am I living for? Hmm. What am I living for? Two, how is my love for God setting the course of my life? Look for those things. Look look for ways that's like, wow, I love God, and because of that, that's led me this way. I love God, and wow, I probably wouldn't have ever done this, but because of my love for God, it's somewhat shifted my direction. And three, have I let something other than God become the love of my life? And remember how I said you can love more than one thing, but you can only want love one thing supremely. And so that's just a question for reflection. Have I let something other than God become the love of my life that sets my direction? Because what you love will set your course. Okay, we're going to move on. And if, if you want to get any of these later, you can always talk to me and I, and I will get them to you. Okay, so next thing, number two, love doesn't just set our course, but love sets our priorities. Love sets our priorities. Um, and, and that's how it's supposed to be. Matthew six thirty three 33 um, says it like this, but seek first the kingdom of God. And I added that emphasis on first because we read that verse, you know, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. But he put first in there for a reason, because if it just said seek the kingdom of God, we could maybe say, okay, I'll seek those things God wants when it's convenient. But he says, seek them first, meaning make this your priority and let the other things fall in line behind that. Make this the most important thing. Um, And I will tell you, it's not just this, but in all areas of our life, what we truly love What we really want sets our priorities. Um, I still remember this. I remember this like it was yesterday. Um, There was a girl I really, you know, I I would have said, yeah, you know, I, I really want to try and make this work. Her name was Alyssa. She's stunning, you know, and I'm married to her now, and she, she walked out of here. She couldn't listen anymore. No, it's a baby, but she, I love her so much, and she, um, at the time, I just, I wanted to date her. I wanted to get to know her more, and so I can remember this. I'm coming home from work one day. I worked at a pool store. We worked 12-hour days. Um, I was working on maintaining and installing swimming pools, um, and so we'd, we'd work from about seven to seven, and uh I got off one day and it's about 630 so I got off a little early and uh, Alyssa had texted me that day hey Travis do you want to come and meet up and go out for ice cream and uh, sure yeah the only problem was I worked in Indiana she was on vacation in Michigan over an hour away and she says, hey, we're all here. It's not that far. Uh, if you want to come and uh, join us for ice cream tonight in the family, it'll be a lot of fun. So here I am. I've got a truck. Don't put it up there yet. Don't put it up there yet. I've got a truck that gets about mm, 10 miles to the gallon. I've got about a 65 mile or 70, somewhere in that range drive. And just, just for fun, it just so happened that this was when gas was about $4 a gallon. I'm working at a pool store that probably tells you all you need to know about my financial point. Okay, I'm 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 the pool boy, just flipping flies out of a swimming pool. Okay, um, I don't have much money, but also my truck is not very safe. Okay, Let, let's put put up this picture of this truck. Okay, now uh, what I'm doing there is I'm trying to put duct tape on my right headlight. You know why? Because here's why. So I rear-ended somebody. Okay. And so what, what happened from that was my left, my left headlight pointed straight down. Like from the rear, so it's just, you know, if, if this is my car, my left headlight's pointing right here. Okay, and my right headlight, you could get it pointing at the road. The problem was, as you drove, it would kinda rattle. And as it rattled, it'd be pointing up there. Okay, the, it, so I have one that's pointing in the trees and one that's pointing straight down. And so, I mean, if you were, like, into owl spotting or looking for birds at night, this would have been the perfect car because it's just shining up in the trees to your right. But the problem is you can't see anything in front of you. And it's night, and i got to drive on the expressway. There's no street lights, okay? So, like, if money was a priority, I would not have gone on this trip. I would not have gone and paid, I don't know, I'm trying to do the math here, but I mean, probably somewhere around 70 to 80 dollars for an ice cream cone, okay, to drive up and come back down. If safety was a priority, I definitely would not have gone because I can't see at night, and it just so happened to be a downpour on the way home. Like, and it was terrible, I'm going so slow, but I can just remember driving home thinking like, if I don't die, tonight was awesome. I mean, yes, I mean, we had ice cream, I talked to the family, you know, things went good because love set my priorities. What I really wanted was to be with Alyssa, so anything that could have been a deterrent to that wasn't as big of a deal because what I really wanted was to be with Alyssa. So I'd drive through the rain with no lights and no money and barely enough gas and I'd get home really late and barely sleep and wake up at six o'clock to be at work at seven the next morning all with a smile on my face because I wanted to be with Alyssa. Love sets your priorities. What you love most is non-negotiable. That's a fact, okay? You can say you love something, but if it's not non-negotiable, it's not the thing that you love the most. Because what you love most is always non-negotiable. When you love something, you won't let things that could deter you stop you forever. And here's another thought. When you don't prioritize something over a length of time, okay, we all have weeks where we can't make something a priority that's important to us, of course. We all have seasons like that. But over over a period of time, When something's not a priority, it means you probably don't love it very much. Right? I mean, we could say amen to that, right? I mean, over time, I'm not talking about one day. I mean, we all have emergencies. We all have weeks. We all even have, you know, maybe a season where we've got to work a lot of overtime, and we just don't, you know, we're really busy. I understand all that. But when we don't make something a priority over time, it means I probably don't love it. And we recognize this in so many ways. Um, like, how many, how many people do you know? I, I can remember that um, some of my friends said they really wanted to be a doctor. That's what they loved. That's what they wanted to do. The only problem is they went to school and they never did their homework. And so now, while they wanted to be a doctor, they didn't want it that much. Because you can't be a doctor without a lot of work. And now, on the other hand, I know we have a lot of people in this church right now who— um, Our nurses are in the medical field. And you know what that means? That means you have to complete anatomy one and anatomy two. And like the only way you're going to complete those things is if you really have something beyond those classes that you want. Like you'll make school a priority because you want to be a nurse. Because those classes are just so much memorization, so much work. But it's like I want something beyond this, so I'll make school a priority. I'll make doing this a priority. Because priorities over time will always reveal what we love and cherish the most so how can you how can you look inward how can you evaluate your priorities here's the best thing I could come up with look at how you use your limited resources what do you do with the things that are limited you only have so much of it to divvy out some of those things are time some of it's money. Some of it's even thought life, right? Like, you can only think about, you can only set your mind on so many things a day. I mean, and really put your heart and soul into it. So think about, what do I do with my, lim- my limited resources, and how does that impact and, and reveal what I love? So here's some reflection questions for priorities. Again, you may want to write these down and look at these later. Um, so let's look at this. Based on the last month, if I was to look at my priorities alone— what do they say I love? What do my priorities say that I love? Like, if I didn't get a voice, I could only tell you by what my priorities say. Two, what are some things that I say are important to my faith, and I mean it, but I haven't made it a priority recently? Could be quiet time, could be devotion time, could, could be a discipleship, could be sharing your faith, Okay. And then three, this is another reflection question. So after you look backwards, ask yourself, what's something I would like to make a priority going forward? What's something I would like to look different going forward? Okay, next, third aspect where we're talking about a Christian love. And, and, and this, is, this is something that I, I'll never forget when I first understood it because it totally changed my view of love. I, I think sometimes we think about love as an emotion or a feeling, and I used to think of that towards God, thinking like, wow, if I don't really feel in my heart like this emotion or this, um, you know, this welling up inside me constantly, like I must not love God. But you know what Jesus taught about love? He taught that love is measured not by feeling. It's measured by surrender. It's measured by sacrifice, right? Here's what he says. The greatest love you could have, greater love has no man than this, that he would lay down his life, that he would surrender, sacrifice his life for his friends. We just sang a song that said, for God so loved that he gave. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. The things that you love, you will surrender for. You will give up some things for. And, and so this is where I want you to think about where we, d- where we can help us determine between some things that we do want and some things that we really, really want on our deepest levels. Like, let me give you a for instance. If you were to ask me if I would like a pickup truck, I would answer with an emphatic, yes, I want a pickup truck. Do you know how hard it is to go hunting and fishing in a 2007 Pontiac Grand Prix? It's just this little car and I've got fishing poles and I, I'm driving to the lake I'm getting hit with hooks and I mean because the only place to put my poles is right there hitting me in the face. I don't even want to tell you what happens if I get a deer when I go hunting. Where do you put a deer? In a, in a car. So I just, I'll just tell you I keep a tarp in the trunk and I mean it's just one of those things because I, I, a truck would definitely suit my hobbies much better. But I have a car and I uh, While I would tell you, yes, I really, 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 really want a truck, I do. And and I do mean that in a sense. I do want one. But to be completely honest with you, I could leave today, go to the car dealership, I've got enough credit, I've got enough for a down payment, and I could walk home with a really nice truck that I would just love to drive. So here's the thing. I want it but I don't want it enough to pay what it costs. I really want a truck, but I don't want it enough to go into debt again. I don't want to go into debt for another car, not right now, you know, we're paying off Alyssa's car, like, uh, like and I think we'll perpetually, my whole life, be paying off Alyssa's car, and you know, and then I'll inherit it, and then I don't know, but it, that's just kind of the way things go, but, I, like, we're already paying off a car, even though I could do it, I'm not willing to make our budget monthly that tight. I want to have a little margin. I don't want to have to sweat it. You know, while I could afford it, I don't want Alyssa to have to pick up um, extra shifts to pay for this truck. So yes, I could afford a truck, but I'm not willing to pay the cost for it. So while I do want a truck, I don't want it in the depths of my heart. I don't want it enough to sacrifice what it would take to get there. But the things you love the most, you will always sacrifice I remember having a conversation With my brother-in-law Who works uh, He's in corporate At a pharmaceutical company And he um, He manages a uh, A hub And they they send Pharmaceutical Pharmaceutical Pills and all that stuff To nursing homes In that entire region And I can remember Having a conversation With him when he said to me um, Like he was talking With some of the The Higher ups in the company Like the top level guys And And he was telling him about some sacrifices he was having to make and taking some vacation time and doing some things because his daughter's been through a lot. And uh, he, he was taking some time off to be with the family and go to some surgeries and stuff like that. And uh, as he was talking and, and saying he was using his time, taking time for this, like one of the, one of the executives said to him, like, well, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't do that. Like, you know what I mean? And, 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 and like, when he talked to him about needing to be home about stuff, it was like he was talking a foreign language because these group of people, they love money. They love success. They love status. And I couldn't say that about every one of them, but I know the person he talked to said, I would not sacrifice this for family time. You could tell somebody loves money when they're willing to sacrifice time with their family for it. You know, I know, I know some people love money because they'll do that. I know some people... They love pleasure because, you know, they would sacrifice their marriage for just a night. Some people love it. Some people want these things, and, and they, they, like, while it's a bad decision, it, it's like some people will sacrifice things that are important for things that they love because you, what you really truly want what in the depths of your heart, you will sacrifice for. If you want the Lord, if you want to know him, if you, wanna, if you love him, you will give up some things that you wouldn't have done if it wasn't for God. You'll surrender. This is what we talk when we talk about laying down our lives before the Lord. We're saying, God, I love you enough to lay this thing down. We will always sacrifice for what we love. And so, just a few reflection questions on this one. If love is measured by surrender, what do I love most? Think about it. If love is measured by surrender, and I'm not saying that's the only aspect of love. I'm saying that's one of the, the ways that we measure love. If love is measured by what I'll give up for it, what do I love most? Two, what have I or am I surrendering because of my love for Christ? Like, ask yourself currently, like, is there anything in my life I'm doing or I, I have done and just given up because I love Christ? That's the only reason. I love God so I'm going to live differently here. I'm going to give this up. And then three, are there some things God has asked me to give up that I'm still holding on to? That's a, that's an important reflection question. That's an important reflection question because it's in asking these questions we can re, we can look into our hearts and examine and see and be able to lay some things down that maybe we've held onto and didn't even really mean to. Okay, four, fourth aspect of of Christian love we're going to talk about today. Love results in obedience. Love results in obedience. Um, Two passages that we'll just look at briefly. John 14, 15, Jesus said, If you love me, keep my commands. There's a direct connection here. First John 5, 3, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Meaning, they're not like the weight that they used to be. It's not like, I have to keep these things. It's like, I want to do these things. And every relationship, I know obedience isn't a word that we use too much, but every relationship has some boundaries to it. Every relationship has some boundaries that you have to walk within. Like, a a, a marriage, you have your vows, okay? How many of you view your wedding vows as burdensome? Please don't raise your hand, okay? Goodness, okay, no. But, I mean, You don't view those things as burdensome because you love that person. And so while there are some constraints on this relationship, there's some boundaries, there's some things you cannot go outside of, it's easy to do those things because you love that person, right? Even in in like a father-son or a mother-child, whatever, in the parent-child relationship, there are some boundaries, right? There's some boundaries, like the child, like you, you need to listen, you need to obey, you need to respect your parents. And as parents, we need to give ourselves up for them. We need to instruct them, we need to love them, we need to cherish them. And there are some things that are expected, right, in, in a parent-child relationship um, that we don't even view as boundaries or constraints because of love. Like, I don't view it as a constraint that, like, I've gotta, set, you know, I've gotta make sure that Jeremiah and Asher go to school. That's not a constraint to me, right? I want them to learn. I love them. It's not a constraint to me that you're, you know, I'm not, you're not supposed to like beat your kids. That's no constraint because of love, okay? And so God has given us some boundaries as well. And we're in a creator and then created relationship. We're in a father, son, or daughter relationship. And so between us and God, there are some constraints he's given us. And did you know there are some constraints he's even put upon himself? He's entered into what's called a covenant with us, saying, I will be faithful. I will be true. You can count on me. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. He's put these constraints on himself, and he's always faithful. Amen? He's always true. And he says to us, follow me. Follow me. Do these things. Live this, live this way. And again, we don't, oh, we don't um, love God because we obey. We obey because we love. It flows out of our love for God. Um, and so one of the themes that Scripture tells us is if we make a practice, First uh, John says this, if we make a practice of sinning, we, have not, we, we do not have the love of God within us. A practice of it. Now, it doesn't mean there couldn't be anything restored. It doesn't mean that God couldn't change us. It doesn't mean that God doesn't still love us. He's saying, you don't love God when you do these things. This is because loving God means submitting to him and turning to him and trusting in him. And so, um, while God wants to restore us, we have to submit to him. We have to submit to him as our father, as our creator, as our God, and say, I love you enough to obey you. Like, I love you enough to do what you ask me to do. You're always faithful. You always do what you say. So, Lord, I'm going to do what I say. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to obey you. So some, here's some reflection questions for this one. Are there any areas of my life where I'm living contrary to God's will? Like, what I know, what he's laid out for me. Are there any areas of my life where it's like, this is out of whack? And then, second... Are there any sins in my life that I'm trying to rationalize rather than confess? This is so key. Listen, we're all, like, sin, while we, while we don't have to walk in sin, when we do, Jesus tells us what to do. He says, turn to him. The Bible's clear. Confess it. If you sin, you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ. If you sin, you need to confess it. And guess what? This obedience thing, you're doing it. You're covering it. If you make a mistake, you make it right. If you take a step you shouldn't, you you, you fix it. Here's when it becomes a problem when instead of confessing known sin I have, I begin to try and make excuses for it. That's when it's trouble. That's when it becomes problematic. So, are there any areas in your life that you know is out of whack. You're living contrary to God's will. And you're trying to make an excuse for it rather than just confess it to God and asking for His help and turning from it. It's a reflection question, very important. And then third one I put up there is this. Am I obedient to the commands that lead to action? Think about this one for a little bit. There are some commands that are like, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not commit murder. And these ones, sometimes, I mean, like, we feel like, man, if, if, I, if I do that, I know I'm breaking it immediately. But do you know that God has some active commands, right, for us? To love one another, to go and make disciples, right? To serve one another, right? We, there, are some, there are some commands that actually should propel us, not just stop us. So sometimes, if you're like me, you can get into a rut of not doing the bad things, but also not necessarily doing the good things. Okay, so am I I being obedient to the commands that lead me to action? Okay, and then fifth aspect of Christian love we're gonna talk about today. Loving God compels us to love others. Okay, so so up to this point, we've kind of been talking about this, right? That's where we've been, talking about loving God. And, and, and that is so important. But loving God should, really should compel us to love others. And one of the things, one of the most beautiful things about the Christian walk, one of the most beautiful things about relationship with God is that the things He asks us to do, He equips us to do. He does not leave us to our own strength and devices to try and just be like, well, God, here's the thing. I don't don't love people like you love people. And he's just like, well, figure it out. That's not what happens. You don't have to be perfect when you come to God. You don't even have to fully love God when you come to him. You've just got to give him your heart and let him do the work. And and that's what Romans 5 says. Uh, Romans 5, 5, it says, God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And then 2 Corinthians 5, 14b, I love this. This love that's been poured into our hearts compels us to live differently. That word compels could also be translated controls us, meaning this love I have for God and this love that's been poured into me actually compels me to live differently than I used to. And uh, now, now think about this situation. Imagine someone coming to a service just like this, and up to that point in their life really i mean if they were being honest and, and and i could say this myself like before christ i loved myself like if i had to talk about what i really loved what was setting my life direction it was like what's gonna what's gonna be best for me what's gonna what's gonna bring me the most pleasure and so that kind of changed uh, along the way of like maybe a family or maybe this but it all all of it centered around what's gonna bring me the most pleasure now imagine someone coming whose entire life direction has been set by one thing. What do I want? What's going to bring me the most pleasure? That's how I'm living my life. Now imagine this person giving their heart to Jesus. And, 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 and more than just that, God takes that heart, fills it up with his love, and puts his Holy Spirit inside of that person. Now who would expect that person to live the same after that? Who would expect that person's goals to be the same? Who would expect that person's priorities or life direction to be the same? We wouldn't because this person all of a sudden has a new heart. It went from I love myself and want what's best for me to I love my my God and I love others. And I want what's best for him. I want what's best for them. We wouldn't live the same. It would be totally different. Christ's love would compel us to make a difference where we are. Because if his love's been poured into my heart, then it should be flowing out in my conversations, um, in my cubicle at work, or in my office, or in my work truck, right? In my family time. I mean, it should just be pouring out. It should just be oozing out because I have the same love that was within Jesus, and I have the same Holy Spirit that was with Jesus. Now, I should live, I should look differently. Christ's love should compel me. I want to share with you about a ministry take, that takes place at this church um, that some of you may not know about. Um, and I actually think the, many of the people who lead it aren't here today, but that's okay. Um, there's an outreach that this church has um, with the Columbus Behavioral Center. How many of you knew that there's an active out, outreach we're doing, reaching out to kids who are at the Columbus Behavioral Center? Okay, a few of us, g- g- a pretty good portion. Let me just tell you a little bit about it. Um, when I first got here, I'd only been here a few weeks, and I kept hearing about the CBC banquet coming up. I had no idea what the CBC banquet was. I just knew that I, I should be there. And so I was like, okay, I'll be there. And I was asked to lead worship. I was like, okay. And so Pastor Nathan and myself, and I think there may have been another person or two, we, uh, we led worship together here. And um, th- this room was filled with about, oh, I think it was over 30 kids, youth, um, who are at the behavioral center, and, and only the best, who are doing, the people who are doing the best that are allowed to come, and, and some of their mentors came with them. And you want to know what happened? There's a group from this church, many of them retired, many of them probably with other better things they could be doing, who take time, set it aside, make it a point to bring these kids here twice a year, whoever can come, preach the gospel to them, pray with them, Feed them a delicious meal. Show them that they're loved. Give them presents before they leave. And just bless these kids whose home's lives may be, may be terrible. And I, I, I don't even, you don't even have to ask. You know where that kind of love comes from. That's this kind of stuff that Jesus would be doing. When I think of Christ's love compels me, that's what I think of. I think of the CBC banquet with a group of folks who... who have probably very little to do with this behavioral center outside of Christ's love. And they've started Bible studies there. There's Bible studies that take place with these kids. They reach into their lives, they make a difference, they pray for them because Christ's love compels them. And so I want to look inward, right? That's what all this is about. We're looking inward. Where, where's my heart? And so we're, for reflection, here's our questions for Christ's love compelling us. Let's look inward. Do I typically see people like Jesus sees them? You know, when I think of these kids at the Columbus Behavioral Center, I know, I know how a lot of people could look at them. Those kids are trouble. Those kids have made bad decisions. Those kids, I mean, you know, you, you could talk bad about the kids. You could, you, I mean, you could talk bad about their parents. You could talk bad about their home lives. And you know what? You might be right on a lot of accounts, But do you see them like Jesus sees them, right? As children created by God for a purpose, on purpose, who Jesus died for. Do you see your coworkers that way? Your family, your friends? Do I see people like Jesus sees them? Number two, this is a good one I like to ask even myself. In what ways have I been compelled to love others recently? Meaning, in what ways have I stopped what I'm doing or made a change of direction, not just loving my family and not just loving those who love me, but what ways have I been compelled to love others like Christ loves them? What ways have I been compelled to do that recently? And three, this is just kind of like the practical aspect question of that. How many friends or family... Or coworkers or acquaintances or neighbors, I mean, put whatever you want there. I only had enough, that much space on the slide. Have I shared the gospel with or prayed with or invited to church how, how many How many of that how much of that has happened in my life recently? And uh, why we're asking these questions is simply because sometimes we don't know where our heart is, and sometimes, like I said we can deviate just slightly from perfect north and I pray my prayer all week as I've been preparing has just been this that we would know where we truly are today just a little bit more have a better grasp on where our heart is and that no matter where we are we would again offer our hearts to Jesus afresh we're gonna have the band come forward now and we're actually gonna end this service just a little differently Um, there's 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 a little more, there's another verse on there and, and on your handout and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go over it right now. Basically, it just talks about how everything we do it only matters because it love, love. It only matters if it's motivated by love. But here's here's kind of my heart for today. I thought, what better way for us to end this service than to sing a prayer together? It's a simple song. We've sung it, um, we've sung it several times. But it just says, Lord, here's my heart, Lord. Speak what is true. And we're going to sing that song. And, and what I would encourage you to do is in a moment when we all stand and sing together, would you, just between you and the Lord, would you offer your heart again to God? Maybe some of these things, you, as you answer these questions, you, you answered like I did this week, like I could probably use some improvement in a few of these areas. And you just ask the Lord, Lord, would you just pour your love into my heart again? Would you just change me again? You don't have to be perfect. It's just about giving God your heart. And so I'm going to pray, and then as we respond, as a, as a church singing and praying this together, if you feel led, come on down to the altar, pray. Kneel at your seat, pray. Stand and lift your hands. Put your arms out like this, offering your heart again. It's not about anybody else. It's not about what we see. It's not about the outside. It's about him this morning. And just saying, Lord, I give you my heart again. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you speak to us. God, I thank you that you help us to see our hearts. And God, I thank you that when our hearts get out of alignment, you don't scold us or yell at us or try and make us feel guilty about where we are. You invite us back. You invite us to hand you our hearts again and say, Lord, here's my heart. Speak what is true. Have your way again in me. And, Lord, I'm praying that this morning, that is what we would do together as your children, as your people. We would offer our hearts fully to you again. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.